0: Kurt Donald Cobain. <laughs> you cannot
1: say LMAO what? In the intro.
0: I wasn't gonna say LMAO what, but I thought it was funny that his middle name was Donald.
1: No, I give it to you. There's Thank a you. reason he didn't tell anybody that his middle name is Donald. Why is known for
0: Kurt Cobain?
1: Yeah, <laughs> he was just like not not the Donald. He's like not the just, Donald. Hey, you guys, uh, I'm famous now, so can we drop the Donald?
0: It's just a little much. <laughs> his, his manager was like, "It's gone." It's not really going with my vibe. It's gone. Let's try. Let's try that again. Kurt Donald, Cobain. you have to stop. Kurt Donald Cobain was born February twentieth, nineteen sixty-seven, in Aberdeen, Washington. He is the guitarist, lead vocalist, and primary songwriter of the legendary, iconic something. <laughs> I was gonna. I was
1: wondering if you were gonna go deep for it.
0: Something ever Nirvana.
1: Absolutely. Keep going. No, I'm not gonna. Be- <laughs>
0: of Nirvana. And this week we were talking about the documentary Kurt and Courtney that investigates the events leading up to Kurt's death and the allegations of it being a murder for hire. We are your hosts, Sherry Ferreira and Helen Allen. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening everyone and the highlights of the news this Thursday.
1: Okay, first I want to start off right off the bat. Are you a Nirvana fan?
0: Um, I, I like some of their songs, but I'm not like a diehard fan. I can't name five off the top of my head. Like, don't put that pressure on me.
1: Okay, because the only song I can name is probably Smells Like Teen Spirit. And yes. couldn't sing it if there was a gun to my head. Also, I don't even know if that's the only song I know. But, mm, no, so you this definitely... going to be
0: real fun. Yeah. It, it goes without saying that they're like one of the most like... Stapled, like, legendary rock bands. Well, yeah, when you of think of
1: time. like grunge 90s, it's Nirvana I mean, every time. Literally, my next and note
0: picture angsty rock grunge.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> well, and here's the thing like, Nirvana is to me, and people are probably gonna be so angry at me in the comments and the DMs, but to me, they're like a household name, but like, I don't know anything about them. And that is so shameful on my behalf.
0: You feel the shame from the fans because, you know, it has such, like, a cold following. Oh, my following. God. Their
1: fans are just so diehard. And that's lovely. It's, like, Grateful, there's grateful yes. Dead fans. And then there's, there's Nirvana fans. <laughs> below Grateful Dead. Because I got to say, there's no fans like Dead
0: uh, We won't even get into that. We won't even get into that. Well. Oh, my God. But connection to this case. Ooh. Save yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I'll save, save it, it. it. I'll it. save it. Okay. Okay. Again, Nirvana just really paved the way for a new style of music back in the day that still gets referenced today. I mean, when I first heard about Nirvana, it was through like a Jay-Z lyric in a song Holy Grail, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's that's really like that's such a fucking good oh, lyric." And I was like, Sherry, I do know it." That was a high five. We are knowledgeable. For all the listeners who just had their speakers blown out. Right. And like, I don't want any hate because that's the way that music works. Like it reintroduces music to a new, inter- a new generation, and it, that's just the way it cycles. And it like gives you small Can little you things like this. Can you not make it sound like
1: we weren't alive for the '90s? I mean, I know we missed the most,
0: <laughs> the better half of it, but okay, yeah, no, we are fairly young. We're we are in our 20s.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm actually in my mid 20s now. <laughs>
0: God. We will not age ourselves anyway, on this day, and I won't be forced uh, to.
1: But that is the cool thing about music, and, you know, nobody wants to hear us rave on and on about music, so we will continue. But I just do want to also point out that, like, that is, they must have made such timeless music that, like, 20 years later, I'm like, oh, I know that song, and I can sing along. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's a testament to how, how cool they are, even, right. even if I'm not a
0: diehard fan. Right. And with all the love around Nirvana, which is much deserved, um, there's a ton of documentaries out just dedicated to the band and Kurt and, like, all about the music. But, like, respectfully, this is, a, this is a true crime podcast. So I really wanted it to focus on Kurt's death and the theories surrounding that and, like, all the circumstances that led up to it. So if you are a huge fan, I'd recommend the Kurt Cobain Montage of Heck documentary by Britt Morgan. It's the first and only official film authorized by the estate of Kurt Cobain, and it has the full support of the family and Courtney Love, and <clears throat> it's just, it's going to give all those diehard fans what they want and need. Mm. But for this episode of The Chalk Line, I'm going to be talking about Kurt and Courtney by filmmaker Nick Broomfield.
1: Ooh, do yeah. you want to say <clears throat> why he chose that one instead?
0: Yes. Because I think it, it was put out in 1998, which, just, which is just four years after Kurt died. Mm-hmm. And it just goes into the theory of Kurt's suicide being a murder um, for hire, like I said in the intro. And I think it really gives insight into how people were feeling at the time and just the different theories from family members and gave a lot of context about Kurt and how the media perceived this at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm I think,
1: so excited. Yeah. I, I don't know much about this. But honestly, Matt has been telling us to do it for like months, and I'm so excited. We're finally listening.
0: So we're going to be going through, this is the sort of the structure for the documentary. It's interviews with friends and family of Kurt and Courtney, and then the theory surrounding Kurt's death. And just a note, the filmmaker, Nick Broomfield, wasn't really looking to investigate this theory at first. It just started as sort of an observation of Kurt's life. But as he continued to dive into Kurt's past, he was met with a lot of resistance from family and friends, and particularly Courtney Love herself. Mm-hmm. So it got him thinking that this murder theory might be true. And towards the end, it takes this weird turn of, like, examining free speech and hunting down Courtney Love. But I chose to do my research and take important pieces from this documentary to analyze Kurt's passing.
1: Okay. Um. I, real quick, want to just tell everyone who... Um, works for Kurtz Estate. Um, <laughs> no. Everything in this following <laughs> podcast is completely speculatory or from the documentary and we had nothing to do with any of the facts or opinions. Well, the opinions are ours, but... <laughs> Correct. You know what I'm saying? I'm like... Uh, no, we're getting real
0: litigious here because it is that serious. Yeah. Um, so, of course, they're not listening. Kurt's <laughs> Estate is not, like, <laughs> taking notes like, Get him. But, you know... <laughs> For anyone who by accidentally stumbles across this in like 10 years when we're rich and famous, duh. Right. <laughs> um, this is just all speculatory and it's all information that is out there.
1: Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, we're going to obviously say how we feel about things and what we think, but of course we weren't there and we don't know. But right. this is how things go and this is why we have a podcast because we just are two bitches who love to talk.
0: Right. I mean, at one point I was so heavy into the research for this. I was Googling random questions and I looked across the light trail and I was like, oh bitch, you don't even know about a solve this case no. you don't even fucking <laughs> know how hard I'm gonna go but you know obviously I'm I'm i my own little detective and that's not true
1: I love that about you yeah
0: let's get into our four main players characters throughout this documentary we have Kurt Cobain Courtney Love who's his wife Tom Grant and Nick Broomfield now Tom Grant is a PI that was hired by Courtney after Kurt escaped rehab put a pin in that we're gonna get back to that later okay Courtney Love is Kurt Cobain's wife, as I said at the time of his passing, and Nick Broomfield is the filmmaker of the documentary that we're going to be reviewing and talking about today. It's one of those docs where Nick is actually like in the film, walking around with a microphone and like talking to people and asking like these weird-ass questions. So it's I kind it's of really love interesting.
1: That. Yeah. Sometimes I hate it, but I kind of love it sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes
0: the the way he does it, I don't think you'd like it, but it's. It, Oh, okay. (laughs) We get information that's valuable, and that's why we're here today. Okay, yeah. We start off with Kurt's death and how he was found. So, he was found dead at 8.40 a.m. on April 8th, 1994. He was found in his Seattle home that he shares with Courtney in the greenhouse above their garage. Okay. Kurt had a shotgun wound to the head, and the death was ruled a suicide. And according to police, they found a box of narcotics with Valium and heroin, syringes, Burnt spoons and small pieces of black tar. Along with that, they also found a suicide note. Written or typed? Written. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kurt, <laughs> I'm really into this. Noted. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm just like. Kurt hired an electrician to install security cameras recently, but when the electrician showed up that morning to do the job, he found Kurt dead. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, he thought that it was a mannequin. It's never a mannequin, guys.
1: Well, hold hold on a second. I already have a reservation about this. Okay. What person about to commit suicide and leaves a note? So you had the foresight of committing suicide to leave the note. Would hire an electrician, or did he hire the electrician because he wanted someone that's not family to find him?
0: I think it could go either way, but it's worth thinking about. All good points, and all will be answered. Okay. Did you solve this? No, I didn't. (laughs) But it just, that's another piece of, like, information later on that I don't want to get into right now. Oh, okay. Because I will spiral. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, the electrician says he took a closer look and saw blood coming out of his ear and the weapon across Kurt's blood coming out of his ear.
1: You said here.
0: Here? Oh, I meant ear. Just say it again. Blood coming out of here. This isn't visual. (laughs) Is here? (laughs) Is here? Here? here. Hello? The lid, the lid, the lid. This is not a visual medium. No, no, no. The electrician says he took a closer look and saw blood coming out of Kurt's ear and the weapon laying across his chest. The suicide note was addressed to family, friends, and his fans and explains how he's been dealing with all the bad shit that comes along with being as successful as he was. Like, you Mm -hmm. have to picture peak fame. Like, in your prime. So,
1: not as famous as us, but...
0: (laughs) No, no.
1: You're right. No, but I do... It's a thing that you know if you follow any celebrity that's very big and very famous. They always say it's so isolating to be that famous. Because there's not really that many people at the top who share the same things that you share.
0: Exactly. And in this documentary, I didn't really write it down because it wasn't relevant to the whole... um, True crime aspect of it or Kurt's death, mm-hmm. um, for lack of better words. But one of his friends, Alice, says that it was really hard to get in touch with Kurt after that because even like his people around him, his um, PR team would be like, No, you should go. Even after Kurt said, No, I want her to come and hang out, they'd be like, No, you need to go.
1: Right, because it's like everyone thinks that they know best on how to handle his affairs and how to do his stuff. And then it's isolating. Like, I don't, there's no other word for it. Like, it becomes very lonely to feel like people are organizing
0: your life for you right and that's exactly what he expressed in this letter he was 27 years old at the time and the streets from where he grew up in Aberdeen was it reminded me a lot of Brazil when Michael Jackson died just like people in the streets crying and like coming together for their love of this one artist like it was really like jarring, I guess. But it's also yeah. really beautiful in a way.
1: Matt's gonna be real mad at you for linking this to Michael Jackson.
0: <laughs> Matt is a big <laughs> Michael Jackson hater. All right. I mean, I mean, recently, like... We know as he's, he's not a good guy. We know he's not a good guy. It was just the first thing that came to my mind, because I remember being little, and asking my mom, like, why are people crying on camera? And she's like, Michael Jackson died. What do you
1: mean so, little? <gasps> Can I tell you what? Okay, you guys, this is... <gasps> You're gonna find out how old we are. <laughs> uh... <laughs> So Michael Jackson died on the last day of fifth grade for me. Oh my, that's so specific, I was, but okay. I was taking the bus to my friend Kate's house and, like, because you know on the last day of school you plan to, like, go burn all your school shit. Yeah. Or you're done with it. So I took the bus to my friend Kate's house and on the radio they announced that Michael Jackson and Farrah Fawcett died on the same day and my oh. bus driver started crying. You know, I'm not even making fun of her because, like, that could be emotional. Like, i if someone that I really <laughs> love died, maybe I would cry at the wheel, too. But I just will never forget that. And, and I think it's really shitty that Michael Jackson was not that great of a guy, but we don't remember that Farrah Fawcett died on the same day. Hello? I, She's a queen! I thought she was still alive. Sherry.
0: <laughs> I have a bone to pick with you. I I several bones. Yeah, but it's just everyone came together on the streets of where he um, lived, and just was really, like, you know, being together, comforting. And it just goes without saying that they really popularized punk rock, Nirvana, the band, Kurt, as well, like him as an individual. People loved him, and I just can't stress he is an icon. He is the moment.
1: Absolutely. He is every moment. <laughs> he is every moment. I'm every, every moment. moment. It's <laughs>
0: all in Kurt. <laughs> Kurt's in heaven, like, I'm, I'm every, every mo-. moment. I mean, I would think, on that aside... We start the interviews with family and friends. Nick Broomfield, the filmmaker, starts his interviews by going to Seattle, Washington to find out more about Kurt, um, who at the time was married to Courtney Love. Together, they had a one-year-old daughter named Frances, and it just adds, like, another layer of tragedy as well, because they did have a daughter together, and that can't be easy on her to have all this talk about...
1: Yeah, the speculation against Courtney, like, everything... I mean, I don't know anything yet, you haven't told me, but...
0: No, but that also can't be easy, and I just wanted to acknowledge that as well. Of course. So we start off with Aunt Mary, who's one of the girls. We love her. Um, She really helped like, nurture Kurt's love for music, and he was into it from the start and was really fascinated with all of her equipment that she had at her house, and she wow. gave him... could you
1: imagine how proud she was of herself? Oh.
0: Like, I made Kurt Cobain who he is. And that's the sentiment that she has, like, obviously, like, not like, I made him who he was, but, like, she really is just so happy to be there to talk about Kurt after, like, no one else is really offering that for this documentary.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that that is, like, the ultimate, like... How you bring a person to their full potential, that's, like, as proud as you could be of yourself and somebody else when you can see them become that great. Exactly.
0: And you really, like, it's its very, like, you can see that by just, like, seeing how proudly she talks about Kurt. Oh, I love so that. So she gave him his first guitar, supported his dream, and has so many recordings of him as a baby, like, playing around with music and just, like, hitting, um a guitar with, like, drums and a recording and be like, hey, can you record this? And she's like, of course! Ugh. And she's like, boop! Wow, <laughs> like, I love her. It's just really sweet. Next, we go to Aberdeen, Washington, where Kurt was born and where his family is from. Um, and it gets described as a redneck lodging town. Like, okay... <laughs> What's me? You wrote logging. Logging? Oh, then logging, yeah. I meant logging. <laughs> I meant logging. It's also a British documentary. Like... So I was trying my, my best. Punk rock was really Kurt's escape from his um from his life. When he was eight years old, his parents got a divorce, and it was really a pivotal moment for him. Um he even has a note that details how much he was hurt from it and how much he knows it would change him as a person. At eight years old. Yeah. So it just really gave me an insight into how mature he was mentally to like be able to
1: and I feel like um, people that are musical are like hyper aware too of their surroundings and the things that are happening with like emotion especially um I'm sure a divorce like there was tons of fighting and there was tons of like like I I don't know like bad blood you know what I mean and so for him to see that I'm sure he picked up on it And that probably honestly is like a little bit of telling as to why his music was so angsty. It is. No, it truly is. You know, like it's a good way to have therapy is to write about what you go through.
0: It is. And like a little more about his childhood. um, We hear about that from his schoolmaster. I think that's just a fancy word for principal. I don't know. Okay. It is a British documentary. I don't know if I said that, but it's like weird. But he's from Washington? Um, Yeah, Washington.
1: Okay. Yeah, I don't know. What mean. business did the Brits have? Like, I think not have calling it schoolmaster, like,
0: can you I kind chill? of love it. I don't know. I'm kind of here for it. Can we just Britishize everything? Britishize <laughs> So Kurt's schoolmaster says that he was kicked out of his home, and his um, oldest sons actually brought Kurt to his home and asked if he could stay the night. So he ended up staying there about a year, but after the first night, Kurt was like, okay, are there any dishes I can do? Like, how can I help out? And, like, just, you know, make this, like, how can I help you guys out because you're letting me stay here? And I just thought that was really sweet.
1: Wait, a year in?
0: He was? <laughs> no, after the first night that he stayed there.
1: Oh, I was like, damn, he waited a year no. to offer-
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, <Kurt> waited a night. No. It was after the first night that he stayed there that he was Oh, like, and then hey. they were like,
1: girl, you're welcome to stay. Yeah, and- I mean, yeah,
0: he helped out. He did, like, um, what they asked of him, washed the dishes, and was so helpful later on. He's also um, just not having one place to call home. Mm-hmm. So even though he did stay with his schoolmaster for a year, he be- went back and forth between places. And one place specifically was this bridge um, in Aberdeen that obviously became more like notorious or famous after he died. And like mm. in the documentary, yeah. you see signatures on it, like, Kurt, we love you. And it's just like, Aww. it's very that. Also in Aberdeen, Washington is Tracy Miranda. And she was Kurt's first um, girlfriend and, like, the love of his life before the fame. And they had been living together for three years. She has this old art of his, like, paintings and dolls he would make for her, like, just hung up in her home on display. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, (laughs) this is four years after his death. But it's just like, yeah, no, he painted this. He painted that. And it's, like, very dark. and.
1: Well, the fact that she had them, even, like, that she kept them before he died is, like, a testament to, like, how much of an effect he made on her. You know what I mean? Like, he leaves a mark on everybody. Yes.
0: We meet a few other people, but again, I only chose to discuss those that I thought were relevant to um, the, the, this podcast, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they interview this one girl named Amy, and they were never able to verify whether she knew Kurt or Courtney.
1: Okay, then why is she here? Exactly. Like, we get 20 minutes of her talking, and I'm like,
0: okay, girl, you have, like, this really cool... Unless it's
1: Amy Winehouse, another member of the 27
0: 27 Club, Club? I'm not interested. (laughs) Right. But it wasn't. It wasn't that Amy. (laughs) Okay, so then...
1: (laughs) Sorry, Amy. We moved on. Get out. Amy comes for us. Sorry.
0: I I, I have to stop. (laughs) She better not. (laughs) She was pretty cool, but, like... I don't. I don't think you knew Kurt or Courtney, girl. And that's okay. Just admit Amy, it. If you want to be famous, just come on our podcast. Is- We're really famous. <laughs> Literally, there are easier ways to go about these things. Make it till you make a baby. <laughs> that's Amy's motto, and ours. <laughs> We're best friends. We actually know <laughs> Amy, and she asked us to do this and shout her out. <laughs> Okay, I'm really done now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's guys, I blame myself. I, I said, yeah, sure, let's have wine, and this is where we're at. That's <laughs> fine. Next, the doc goes in to Kurt's marriage with Courtney. Now, they got married in 1992, and by that time, they were both heavily using heroin, which Kurt says helps his stomach pains, and... These were often brought on by, like, stress and just took a really heavy toll on him. And it was also said that he had an undiagnosed stomach disease. So I don't, can't verify that, but they were both heavily using heroin and they, like, bonded over that after initially meeting. So not the healthiest, I, I have to no, say. that's time. I would have to agree um, with that. <laughs> Courtney was also in the music scene herself. She had recently formed the band Whole and gained success through their album, Lived Through This, which has the songs Jennifer's Body and Doll Ports, and Doll Ports. <laughs> <laughs> Dwell Dwell Ports. Ports. <laughs> so she was also having that success as well. Kurt took their relationship very seriously. I mean, he had so much love for her. And in another interview, he says he never really wanted to have a kid until he met Courtney, like, four years ago. Um, He said, like, he would have never wanted to bring a child into this world. But when you fall in love, it's different. Yeah. And that's paraphrased, like, he, but it's it's so sweet.
1: Yeah, that's very sweet.
0: And Courtney's life was also similar to Kurt's in a way, which I thought was very interesting because I didn't know about this. Okay. Um, and we learn about this more through her father, Hank Harrison. But we hear more about Courtney's upbringing through her father, who at one point managed the Grateful Dead. Remember that? Oh, hell yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so he was really like. Not a, to brag, but I'm kind of a deadhead. I went to a. Shut deadhead. up. Shut up. I'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave. Okay, so Courtney's father was really a tough love sort of parent, and he says multiple times that he's not afraid of Courtney because he knows how her mind works and he's always one step ahead because at this time, Courtney had really been harassing and attacking, like physically attacking a lot of journalists just for writing about her life with Kurt. Courtney was actually taken from her father. Like, she didn't live with him when she was five, and it's never really stated why, Um, very weird, but Courtney's Mm. father does say that he, um, heard from Courtney just last week. And remember this is in 1998, but recently for the time of the doc filming. Yeah, no, we're both checking our Apple watches like, huh? Mm. Um, but apparently she called because she was marrying or engaged to Edward Norton. Oh my God. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's going to love it.
0: And it's four years later, but, um, they never end up actually getting married, but they did have a, um, they were engaged and had a relationship.
1: Okay. That's very soon, no?
0: I was thinking. But also, I don't know. Four years? I don't know. But also. What do I know? But also, mm, here to speculate. Here to speculate. (laughs) (laughs) If nothing else, I'm great at speculating. Right. Hank believes that someone killed Kurt. So he's not following this suicide theory. And he never said or believes that Courtney killed him. But he does say that the evidence is so strong towards the possibility that he was murdered. And he had actually written two books about Kurt's um, apparent suicide, right?
1: Oh, God. Okay, can I ask some questions? Of course. I've got tons. Okay, so I'm very frazzled by this. Courtney was taken from her dad at five years old. Yeah, and it's
0: never stated why.
1: And he's real sentimental about Kurt Cobain. Who exactly. he probably
0: never met. Exactly. It's weird. Okay.
1: And so it feels like... Courtney's dad has a bone to pick with Courtney. He does. Listen, I'm not saying Courtney Love is a saint. I don't know. I haven't heard the whole case yet. Um, But I am saying if we're going to play devil's advocate, it sounds like Hank is not a great guy. So should we take everything he says with a grain of salt?
0: Yes, we should. Okay. One of the things that he does say, which is um, factual, is that around the time of Kurt's death... He wanted to get a divorce, which he says, "quote is a well-established fact." Oh, well, well-established facts we are here for, right? And he said that Kurt was going to change his will, changes like removing Courtney from getting anything after his death. Hmm. And some might call that motive, but I digress. So, how would Hank know that? I digress. Uh, well, it's a well-established fact, and oh, it was right. also <laughs> documented because this is again four years later. Or so, and I think what was interesting is that Hank says Courtney was so determined. Like, she was very driven to accomplish the things she wanted to accomplish. And in one of her poems, she even says that, like, she will be his wife. It doesn't name names, but I, I, we can all assume it's about Kurt. Mm-hmm. She will be his wife and how she's going to destroy anything in her path to get there, basically. Okay. Which she does end up accomplishing, which is weird. Right. Another sort but of... like,
1: I would say the same shit about Matt. And, like, I'm not going to kill
0: him. No. No. <laughs> I will destroy anything in my (laughs) My (laughs) path. Mood. (laughs) Mood. Um, But like another weird thing that was provided by her Portland friend Roz Resbeck, um, which is her ex-boyfriend, and he's obviously still hurt by the breakup. See, this is the thing. Only people who hate her are going to speak up. I know, but they do list like factual things that I think were important. So like the changing of the will, that is fact. Right. The fact that. And I have to say maybe there's a reason people hate her. Exactly. Okay. I'm just listening so, now. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> back to listening. So the ex-boyfriend provides this sort of list that Courtney made back in the day of, like, things that she wanted to accomplish. Accomplish Things like stop working at jobs, be financed. The movie comes out, tour with Furs, or R-E-M, and become friends with Michael Stipe, who was the lead singer and lyricist Oh, don't of... tell me who Michael right. Stipe okay. is. Okay, I didn't know. I had to Google it. Oh. Don't hate me. And That's what's incredible. weird is that she did every single thing on that list. So, like, it just speaks to how driven she is for better or for yeah. worse yeah 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 right of course. her ex-boyfriend also says how manipulative she was in this relationship because she also had him dress up and sort of like mimicking other rock stars at the time she's like you should change your outfit and like do this and do that which obviously can be taken either way but i think right because
1: it could be like oh well she has your best interest she wants you to get famous and fulfill your dreams but it could also be like she's trying to change you exactly
0: Her father goes on to say that she had this deranged obsession, like this compulsion to succeed no matter what. And what he says is true in this next part, that she has a reputation for being very violent. She was in juvie, which he says is well-documented.
1: Okay, well, that's what we're here
0: for. Well-documented. Yeah, well-documented. She had fights and this aggressive behavior. And this was another point that I was going to make after um, you brought that up, is that he's pointing one finger, but there's like, You're pointing one finger, but there's three pointed back at you. Like, you're her father. Like, that also speaks to you as well.
1: And, like, let's, let's, like,
0: not to be a Courtney apologizer and make excuses, but no, no,
1: of course. But, and also, like, here's the thing is that I think when a parent raises a child from the very beginning and tries their hardest, and then the child is still bad or evil, you can't always fix a person. Sometimes, unfortunately, I believe that people are who they are. Um, but I think the fact that he was not in her life after she was five years old, you don't get to point the finger now, Hank. You didn't have a hand in trying to make her better from all of these things. You know what I'm saying? It's like if, if he had like been with her until she was 18 and she was a monster and he chose to walk away, then maybe we could say like, okay, I understand him. But the fact that He was only her dad until she was five, and now he wants to be like, what a bad person. It's like, well, Hank, I mean, what did you contribute to the
0: matter? He goes on to say so much other shit that I just cut out and took, like, the most pertinent pieces because Mm. her violence and her um, sort of this obsessive need to succeed is, I don't want to say is fact, but it is Corroborated? Is that oh, too? No, much? of course. And it I is believe corroborated that, but later I, on. I have
1: to say, like, he's probably a little to blame. Because yes.
0: A hundred percent. Your
1: dad not being a part of your life from five years old, but he's still alive and
0: well, like mm, and writes two books about your ex-like. I mean he doesn't chill, sound like a winner. Chill, <laughs> Hank. Let's calm down. I have a bone to pick with Hank, whether he's on the right side of history or not. <laughs> Me too. Sorry, Hank. Me too. Not on my watch. So Courtney went to reform school and moved into the world of rock and roll, where she began her drug use. But before that, she was also in and out of homes like her and never really having, like I said, one place to call home. Mm-hmm. Later on, she gets really... Um, <laughs> in my notes, Why did have, you write tight I have lips? tight-lipped question mark, <laughs> sensitive question mark. I don't know. But she gets even more crazy about talking about her rock... Um, drug pass because she gets booked for this movie role and does this 360 from edgy rock to movie star actress who's like all poised and stuff. And it's just this dramatic shift in her personality. Interesting. And I think that was also important to include as well. So far, Nick Broomfield, the filmmaker, didn't really have an angle. And up until this point, was just, you know, finding information about Kerr and Courtney. But it's after this next part that the whole Courtney had something to do with Kurt's death theory starts to emerge. (gasps) Okay. So let me hit you with a timeline. Okay. April 2nd, 1994, Kurt hops the wall and gave, (laughs) I have this in my notes, gave a big fuck the shit, I'm out, and jumped over the wall of the Exodus Rehab Clinic in LA. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. He hopped on a flight back to Seattle, and the next day, which is April 3rd, Courtney hires Tom Grant to find Kurt because he's now missing okay april 8th the body is found that kurt's body was found in their seattle home but it's later determined that he had actually been dead for four days meaning that he died the very next day that courtney hired the pi again not a smoking gun it's just an interesting thing to know one month before kurt's suicide he had od'd and possibly attempted suicide in rome which a lot of people call the rome incident but it turns out this first quote suicide attempt was only labeled that after his death like the narrative of that being a suicide only started to be pushed in the media after his death.
1: That is so interesting, because like I said, I didn't know a lot about this, but I did know that he tried to attempt suicide before. Mm-hmm.
0: It was also said that the drugs that he OD'd on weren't the kind that he usually takes. Like, it was a roofie that could have easily been put into his joint. In
1: Rome? Yes. Okay.
0: Ooh. Yeah, so that just adds another layer of suspicious, because like, it wasn't his drug of choice from my understanding. Right, okay. Okay. So it's after this that the first person to publicly object to the report of the suicide was um, a public access host named Richard Lee. He's an independent journalist from Seattle, Washington, where this all takes place. And he's like known for being one of the first people to say, this wasn't, th- um, this wasn't a suicide. This was a homicide. Like, you guys are crazy. And so a week after um, Kurt's death, Richard Lee aired the first episode of his series called Kurt Cobain Was Murdered. Real straight to the point. There. I mean, <laughs> could not be a more title. blunt if you tried. Um, and he said there were several discrep- discrepancies in the police reports, including several changes in the nature of the shotgun blast. Oh. Now we get into the interview with Tom Grant, which is the PI that was hired to find Kurt after he escaped to rehab. Mm-hmm. Tom Grant is an ex-LA County Sheriff of eight years, so he's like in the biz of this stuff. And he puts he also puts out this theory that. Kurt's suicide was a murder. And he has this whole website dedicated to it called CobainCase.com. And he comes to the conclusion that it's a murder after having multiple conversations with Courtney and the people and her and Kurt's circle because he was the PI hired to find Kurt. So he obviously so gained some information about that. at this
1: that. point, does Courtney think it's a murder?
0: No. Courtney has stayed true and true to say that Kurt committed suicide. Okay. Tom worked for Courtney for about seven months- and he's written all about this murder theory on his website and has recorded phone calls with Courtney on there and her lawyer as well. He believes Courtney just hired him for publicity. <laughs> okay, Nick <Necrol. laughs> I love the Nick show. Publicity. Um, so that after the body was found, it would be in the media that she did everything she could to find Kurt. And that's exactly what happened in the media. It was plastered everywhere that Courtney did everything she could. She hired a PI. Like, she was the grieving um, wife. That sort of thing. And then that coupled with the prior suicide attempt, a.k.a. the Rome incident, it like almost sealed the idea that Kurt committed suicide in a way. And it wasn't really looked into properly um, from police. Okay. Tom believes that something, this is something that Courtney had been planning for a while and that the possibility of Kurt having suicidal tendencies only became a thing after Courtney entered his life. And then the minute Kurt decided that he had had enough, which sort of makes sense because around this time he was looking at a divorce and removing her from the will, he thinks that Courtney was like, oh no, I'm leaving with the money. I'm getting what I wanted from this relationship and had him killed
1: or was involved
0: in some way. Right. He thinks that money was the motive and basically he puts it best, which I thought was like, I was like, whoa, that's that's a good point, which is if they just got a divorce, Courtney would get half. But if Kurt committed suicide, she would get everything. Right. And still now, she had only known him for two years. This is crazy because they married in 1992. Only known him for two years, and she now owns everything he ever put out. Like, they couldn't even use music from Nirvana for this doc because right. she has I such a on Right, I actually remember hearing
1: about that. So here's the thing, though, that I want to ask about is that, like, if... Let's say she did um not have a hand in any of this. like what? I mean, because she she made her own money for herself, right?
0: yeah, she was getting a lot of success from her first album, but I think
1: in and I the... think she's not eternal fame the way that he is
0: exactly. yeah, that's another thing that was, um debated about or talked about during this time is like ooh who would be bigger than the other like Courtney Love had already had the success and then Kurt came out and it was sort of like comparing the two at the time
1: right okay and everybody I don't I have nothing to do with Courtney Love I know I'm defending her but I just, it's just for the point no and it's valid points <laughs> I'm have. not defending her actually I just want to get every angle you know? exactly
0: and they're valid you're not like <laughs> being crazy thank you um <laughs> One fact that Tom says doesn't line up with the murder theory is that the gun was wiped clean of fingerprints. <gasps> what the? So if you were going to commit suicide, that's it. She why did would... it. I mean, <laughs> no, it's it... no. He it also says, um, like I briefly touched on before, that the police did shoddy work. Like it was already predetermined that it was a suicide, and so they sort of went into the crime scene having this idea that it was a suicide, and just found the evidence that fit that narrative.
1: Right. They were looking for evidence of a suicide, not evidence of why he died.
0: Exactly. Which is not uncommon. Like, this isn't a crazy idea that's getting brought up now. Like, this happens so many times. Of course, yeah. There was also a stool put up against a door that had no access from the outside. So it's like, why barricade a door that won't open? That was where, another weird where thing.
1: Where was it again? That it he... was in
0: the um, greenhouse above the garage.
1: So he knew this area well. He would know that that door didn't open from...
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he lives there with Courtney. Like, they know the home. Right, so route. he would
1: know that that door wouldn't open. Exactly. So, okay.
0: Um, and some even say that the suicide note wasn't actually a suicide note. It was just a farewell note saying that he wanted to leave Nirvana and that only the last four lines of the note indicates that it was a suicide note because it appears to be in different handwriting. I'm going to uh. pull it up for you please do. Ooh, I'm nervous. You well, here's the thing. So, everyone, I'm no handwriting expert, but neither am I, but I heard Wait, don't look yet. Okay. <laughs> I heard so many things about this note, which is why I wanted to talk about. It. I was like, this was like everyone's smoking gun, I guess, is that this suicide note wasn't a suicide note. It was well, just...
1: that's why right off the bat, I was like written or typed. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but everyone says that these last four lines indicate that it was someone else and it couldn't have possibly been him. So here, look at it for yourself. It starts off saying to Bada, which is his childhood imaginary friend. And okay. then these are the last four lines that people say are definitely not in his handwriting. And it's what makes it a suicide note.
1: Okay, you guys. So you I'm looking them- at it now. Um, I'm not gonna read the whole thing because it's very, very long. Um, but so the the last like few notes of it say, "Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier without me." Da da da. I love you. I love you. I don't know that I believe it's completely different handwriting. But looking at it, it's different. And it looks almost as if he did it at a different... If it is his handwriting, let's say. It's like he did it at a different time. Because it's a little bit more frantic, this handwriting. It's, like, less straight. All the other lines are very straight, right? Like, each line of of writing is straight. And it's very... Yeah, it's very small. So I think the difference that stands out to me is that it's these lines are not on a straight line and they're they're bigger by a lot and they keep getting bigger so I guess to play devil's advocate it could be that like he started becoming frantic
0: well so here's the thing right this is everyone's smoking gun they say it's definitely four it's like the last four lines which what makes it a suicide note um is a different person but initially looking at it i was like that looks like the same thing like to me i was like this is all chicken scratch (laughs) like it and then i looked closely at the words he was saying and after looking at the initial letter which doesn't include the four lines it does seem like a farewell to the music and not so much as this is my final goodbye um and because you have to i don't i don't obviously i can't speak to mental health but it did feel like a goodbye letter. And knowing how grunge he was and how emotional and how he is a songwriter, like, it makes sense that he'd journal.
1: Right, because so. he's so in tune with emotion.
0: Exactly. And no, sorry, I I just feel like it's
1: totally possible also. I haven't read the whole letter, so I this is, like, a little bit out of turn. But those last few lines were so simple. Um, did he mention his child before that because for me like for him to have made the point like I didn't want to have a kid until I had Courtney and she changed everything I feel like more of the letter would have been devoted to his child exactly. you know what I'm saying and it just wasn't it was One about like... line towards his child and unlike no parent that loves their child and lives for their child which I believe that he did I don't think that they would think that life would be better without them.
0: Neither do I. And I also don't think it would be a small blurb at the end. Yeah. I think the whole thing. It felt letter... like an
1: afterthought just to be like, oh, I'm leaving everything, not just
0: music. Exactly. Yeah. Which is what made me come to the conclusion that, okay, I see, like, it's different. People also go more with theories and, like, conspiracies saying that, oh, this looks like Courtney's handwriting, but that's never been confirmed. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I... I stand on the side of it. It looks like someone else added that. Because it's what makes it a suicide note. Like, right. Like, without it, you would have just thought, oh, this is from a journal, or, oh, this is him just um, like, wanting to leave honestly, music. Or, like,
1: honestly, it's almost as if someone told him to add it, and he was writing it in a very different, frantic mind, state of mind. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, all of the... Even st- if it is his handwriting, it's not the same mental state that the beginning part of the letter is. See,
0: that's something I haven't heard talked about. That's why I love you. <laughs> <laughs> because it does like in every other theory they're like there has to have been someone else there and that's that's a good possibility yeah another thing that tom grant the pi says is weird about the circumstances of kurt's death is that he says it would have been impossible for him to pick up the shotgun because he was injected with 1.52 milligrams of heroin this ends up getting dispelled real quick um by this guy um dr Con- Conlin. conlon by this guy, Dr. Colin Brewer, a former director at Westminster Hospital, saying that it would take 30 seconds to a minute for it to take effect, leaving enough time to fire a gun. So that gets dispelled real quick. And another <laughs> not fun thing, I guess sad thing, is that with Tom chasing this theory, it fully bankrupt him. Oh, my God. I know. So it's like, it, that's a lot. I mean, he used to be a sheriff for eight years and then for this to sort of become his whole life it's weird um i think it's interesting yeah i don't know whether that's good or bad interesting
1: i am interested in the fact that like i mean i'm not a drug user so i i can't say why someone would do anything when it comes to drugs but it's interesting like he would take drugs just to shoot himself 30 seconds later when the drugs probably didn't yet affect him exactly but I guess it's like maybe he was afraid of the pain afterwards and he thought the drugs would numb it. But, but I don't know. I just, I have so many
0: questions about everything, you know, yeah. I don't. And that's what people find so fascinating about that. It's like, wait, but this doesn't add up. And this also doesn't add up. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. On April 7th, um, Tom actually searched the Seattle home where Kurt had already been dead for three days. Like he goes in there with Kurt's best friend at the time, Dylan Carlson, to search the home. So and he's
1: s- got the authority to do that? Like why? I know, well why did they allow that?
0: Well, they searched at 2 45 AM and 9 45 PM, but they obviously didn't find Kurt. Um, he got permission from Courtney to search the house. And they both talked about how they the two always got into fights, Kurt and Courtney being the oh, two.
1: Wait, I'm sorry. Are you saying that his body wasn't found for days? His body wasn't found for four days. I am so sorry. I totally misunderstood that. So, I thought he was found, like, essentially immediately.
0: No, he was... So,
1: okay. So, on April 7th, when Tom went to go search the home, he didn't know yet
0: that Kurt was dead. They were walking around the home and Kurt was fully dead in the greenhouse. Oh, okay. And they did not find him. Got it, got it. So, just to reiterate, because if you're having questions, someone else has questions... Kurt was found April 8th, and it was determined later on that he had already been dead for four days, Okay, meaning that he died April 4th, mm-hmm. which is the day after Courtney hired Tom Grant to find him. Got it. Okay. So him and Dylan Carlson, Kurt's friend, um, best friend at the time, went to search the home, and the two were just talking about how turbulent the relationship was and how um, Dylan Carlson provided drugs for Kurt and Courtney, and he describes how one time he got a call from kurt and was like oh can i have drugs but don't tell courtney and then courtney called immediately after like hey can i have drugs but don't tell kurt like it was very i think that speaks a lot to their relationship
1: yeah Um, well can i also ask another thing yeah so i know that courtney and Kurt were both
0: drug users why was he in rehab and she was not i i think it was i think he was put into rehab after the rome incident and that's when people are like, oh, you need help. You need help. Okay. But, but heroin,
1: her, to be hooked on it, if he's going to rehab, I would think she would want to go too. Because if she's a, like, for the the thing I'm thinking of is she wanted him there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Because she wouldn't have hired a PI to go find him and put him back into rehab if she didn't want him there. Right. But who is she to be forcing him to be in rehab if she has the same issue? Right. I mean, maybe that's a story for another day, but I No, that but it's important to something that I'm thinking of because I'm like, who who does she think she is to be forcing this on him? And it's a good thing. It is a of course rehab is a good thing, but why doesn't she see herself as someone who also needs help?
0: Exactly. It was weird. It was also rumored at the time that she was cheating on Kurt and that she wasn't um completely faithful, so maybe that could so have something rehab to do with is,
1: like put him away with no understanding of what's happening outside
0: of. Okay. And it also goes without, not goes without saying, I don't know why I prefaced it like that, but there are also two opposite people at this point in their lives. I mean, they're both getting fame, Kurt obviously being more um, established, Mm -hmm. and Courtney would want, like, a fancy car, and Kurt would be embarrassed by that. Like, they just weren't. Yeah, they
1: just didn't. I mean, opposites attract,
0: but only sometimes. Exactly. Honestly. So now we get to the interview with Dylan Carlson, who searched the home with Tom Grant. And he's actually the person who bought the gun that Kurt used to kill himself. Okay. So Dylan says that Kurt never said anything to him about wanting to a divorce, about wanting to to a divorce, about wanting to get a divorce, and that Kurt bought the gun before he went into rehab. It said that he bought the gun for protection because someone had previously gotten onto his property, which makes total sense because he also hired an electrician to install security cameras around the same time.
1: Oh, my God. So it's like what,
0: he didn't even want the gun for the purpose of um, taking, taking, killing himself, taking his life. I know we can't say commit suicide. Yeah. I know that's not a thing anymore, yeah. but I'm, I'm well, just trying to say.
1: Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, just to play devil's advocate a little bit. Someone who's going to take their own life, they're not going to tell the person buying their gun, hey, this is so I can take my life. Fully. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, I I totally think that if that is totally valid in what Kurt Cobain was thinking, that is a crazy thing and that's something to be looked at. But at the same time, we don't know what he was thinking. He easily could have wanted to take his life, but he's not going to tell that to the guy buying the gun.
0: No, of course. You know? Which is why I think that, like, someone having been on his property and him also hiring an electrician around the same time sort of tells me that, like, it maybe couldn't have been for that. And that's just more. Right.
1: It just, it brings up um, red flags. Yes.
0: Now, it also goes, I don't know why I keep starting every sentence. it goes without saying. If it went without saying, would we have a podcast? (laughs) No, we would not. (laughs) But. Dylan um, also is very evasive with the questions for someone who's Kurt's best friend. Um, He also couldn't say how Kurt's mental health was at the time and couldn't conclusively say whether or not he was suicidal at the time.
1: Okay. Which I I don't think too, too much into because, like, people hide things all the time from the closest ones to them. But at the same time, it's like... There's no shame in being close with someone and not knowing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't know. I don't, I, I totally get why he would be evasive about it, just in the sense that, like, maybe he's a little shameful that he didn't do anything. No, of
0: course. And he, one of the, like, strong things he says, like, definite, his voice isn't shaky, is that, quote, if he thought Courtney or anyone else had anything to do with Kurt's murder, then they would be dead out, I would kill them if I thought that that was the case. Ooh, and I was just You like, want that friend on your side. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's the friend you want. Okay. <laughs> but obviously Nick Broomfield is um, conducting this interview, so he says back, but... and um, not he says back. Nick responds to this strong statement and says, okay, but if everyone was so concerned with him being suicidal, then why wasn't there, like, a rush to find him?
1: Which... Right. Well... I, Again, I mean, like it's if he, tough because, you know, everybody. every case is different when it comes to
0: suicide. Exactly. And you can't conclusively say one thing or the other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But he goes on to say, like, if he had just escaped rehab and had recently bought a gun and was missing, like, why did anyone check the house from top to bottom? Like, it doesn't seem like there was right. a thorough search, which...
1: I mean, I mean, could if you're best friends and he just escaped rehab and now is missing, and you know you bought him a gun days before that, could you just call the police?
0: Could exact, you just let yeah. them
1: know that he's missing and there's a gun missing too? Right. Like, I, not to blame anybody, but like, could we just help each other a little? Yeah.
0: And after hearing all this from Tom, the PI, and Dylan, the best friend, we get this recording from the day both of them went searching for Kurt. And it's just. So sad because we hear them yelling Kurt's name and looking throughout the house and they obviously didn't find him, but we know he's there dead. And it's just, it's, it's a little morbid. Mm -hmm. Um, Tom says in this recording, quote, I'm going to follow you because you know where everything is to me. I'm like, huh? You're the PI. You're not very
1: good at your job. You're the PI. Tom,
0: maybe you should do some more
1: training. Like, what do you know the layout of the home? And wouldn't you go everywhere? Like, I'll tell you what, Tom doesn't have access to land records, it seems. Because <laughs> or a you know search I will engine. pull up that map Ugh. in
0: two seconds. Right. Like, it does not take much. Tom also says that he thinks Dylan deliberately kept him from going to the greenhouse, which was where Kurt's body was. <gasps> um, Are speck- we framing Dylan? I, I think that's what he's... Tr- I think we're framing Tom. Dylan. <laughs> okay, all right. I guess I'll sit here for the
1: ride, but Tom, I'm not sure about you. Yeah. Um... Well, I'm not sure about Dylan either. To be honest, not one person in this documentary I like so far. Not one. Maybe and Kurt, I guess, complete, if we could count
0: him. <laughs> you're completely right. Um, towards the end of this doc, we get to hear Hank's theory. Ugh, another um, one I don't like. I know. And his theory <laughs> is that um, it was a murder. And he thinks that the Rome incident was not a suicide for a weird reason that I don't exactly agree with. He says that Kurt just wanted Courtney's attention because she was cheating on him. And again, this is all well-documented. I'll tell you what, people
1: don't look. take their own lives for attention because they're not there to bask in it after. Exactly. So like, I, I, and you have to be such a genius to try to take your life and not do it completely properly, but make it look enough like you took your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly.
0: So I threw that right in the trash. Okay, Hank. Threw it right in the trash. That's it. That's um, it. We're done with Hank. We threw him I out. I want to hear another thing. Another guy who I gave you <laughs> full permission in our notes to bash is this guy named El Duche. You mean he, El Douche? No, El Douche. El Douche. Oh. Ah, Sherry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's been Can an I hour. I I'm a little it? slow. I'm a little slow, guys. Ooh. But supposedly, or allegedly, he was offered 50K to whack Kurt Cobain. And that's the way he says it. Oh, God.
1: But, yeah, he
0: said that Courtney hired him. But he's just like the random drunk in the dock. Um, and like three days later after it was filmed, he was killed um, because he wandered onto some train tracks, but I mean, good, get rid of him because he was just an asshole for reasons I don't okay. even feel like. I matter. feel like
1: because you watched the documentary, you hate this guy so much. I trust you. Yeah, okay, so well, me, well, If, you, if, if you, any of you guys <laughs> needed a
0: reason, he also made rock music, but he called it rape rock. Get him out of here. Um, absolutely not. Exactly. I, Don't need any more evidence. This guy, time to the tracks, actually. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. So, we threw him out. And that's really where this doc ends. Um, Oh, God. It turns, I know, it offers all these, like, bits and pieces of, like, oh, wait, that could be on one side of, oh, no, it was definitely a suicide. And then it goes back and forth between, no, but that points to a murder. Why were the um, fingerprints cleaned off the gun if it was a suicide? You can't clean off your prints after you're dead.
1: I just keep going back to the chair on the door. What a weird thing that a person who lived in that house would do. Exactly.
0: I think what was also interesting after watching this is that it really became apparent that this was in 1998. Like, to me, this theory of it being a murder is so widely known. Yeah. But I guess it's only became more popular in recent years and we have more evidence for it. But... To me this was such a hard thing of yes it was a murder and it was a cover up but after mm-hmm. watching this doc and researching I can see either honestly
1: I have to be honest I think the answer is I don't I don't freaking know. I just don't. I mean, I really think there is great evidence to to state that he didn't commit that he didn't take his life. But I, there's also good evidence to say that like he was in a shitty place, and he came from a shitty place. And it's okay to acknowledge that people in shitty places do shitty things. Right. But I, but, but if One, that's the case, that's fine. But if it's not the case, like, I am glad that people are digging up this shit and talking about it.
0: Me too. And I think it's just hard because I think if it were investigated with yeah. a clearer mind mm-hmm. and not with the um predisposed, is that the word?
1: Yeah, and, like, Like, when did, like, if this were a homicide investigation from the get, then they would have had to rule out Courtney, because it's always the spouse. Exactly. But they never had to rule her out, because in a suicide, you don't rule anyone out. Right.
0: And another um, thing that I'll leave you off with, because I don't think I really made it clear earlier, and maybe I'll cut this and put it earlier... What is it that we love Aunt Mary? Because I really misspoke when I said I didn't love anyone in the documentary. Oh, no. We love Aunt Mary. (laughs) Aunt Mary is one of the girls. I just, I realized I said that. I have to take it back. I love Aunt Mary and no one else. And that's that. One of the things that I wanted to mention was that Courtney did have this history of violence and this um, obsessive behavior um, towards... I don't know if it was towards Kurt's... Around, it was around Kurt's death that journalists were writing heavily about their relationship and she physically attacked on record multiple journalists and threatened one so much that she left her home in Seattle and only called the cops until she got in, got to L.A. Like she fully moved wow. homes. Um, so I think that's important to note that she did have this aggressive violent behavior
1: yeah, absolutely. and and, um, which does a well- lot of that could be attributed to the drugs and the shit she was going through. But at the same time, I just wish that this was a homicide investigation from the beginning so that they could have at least ruled out a homicide. Me too. Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the chalkline Pod, Twitter at the chalkline Pod, and follow along
0: with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.